Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. Tonight on The Readout. If she gets to pick her judges, nothing you can do, folks. Although the Second Amendment people, maybe there is, I don't know. But That was more than six years ago, during the rise of Trump, who championed the idea that Republicans have a right to rule by force, if necessary. Now, a failed Republican politician in New Mexico is accused of arranging violent attacks on the homes of four elected officials. One of those officials joins me in a few moments. That case is just the latest example of how years of right-wing crackpot conspiracy theories, including election denial, have very real consequences and put actual lives at risk. Good evening, everyone, from Studio B in New Orleans, site of tonight's National Day of Racial Healing Town Hall, which I will be hosting tonight at 10 p.m. Eastern, along with Chris Hayes and Tremaine Lee. I will tell you much more about that a little later. We begin tonight with the real-life confluence of a toxic stew of election denial, extremism, and political violence. It's the type of nightmare scenario that is all too real in America. Police in New Mexico arrested failed Republican legislative candidate Solomon Pena, who they say orchestrated a string of shootings targeting Democratic officials in the state. Last November, Pena lost to his Democratic opponent in a landslide by nearly 50 points, but claimed that he really lost because of so-called fraud. Apparently, he's both an election denier and a sore loser. After the election, a very stable Pena wrote on Twitter, I dissent. I am the MAGA king. He later posted a photo of himself in MAGA gear, noting that much like Donald Trump, he never conceded. Police say Pena's anger at losing may have motivated him to mastermind the plan to conspire with and pay four men to carry out shootings at the Albuquerque area homes of two county commissioners and two state legislators. Prior to the shootings, he even visited the homes of officials to dispute his loss, including County Commissioner Adrienne Barboa. Thankfully, no one was hurt in the shootings. But as we've seen over and over again since 2020, this is not an aberration. It's now a philosophy for the right and MAGA Republicans. The firm belief that it's just not possible for them to lose, whether it's by 50 points or 5 million votes, backed by a threat of violence. Now, to be clear, not all Republicans who lose will shoot you. But some have no qualms implying they will in their political ads. Madam Speaker, tear down this wall. Join the MAGA crew, get a rhino hunting permit. There's no bagging limit, no tagging limit, and it doesn't expire until we save our country. In 2022, I'm going to blow away the Democrat socialist agenda. become the norm on the Republican side. Photo ops with guns, pose with your entire family with rifles, even in front of your Christmas tree. 
and with it, an implied message that if Republicans don't get what they want, winning, they're prepared to use them. And those implied threats of violence come amid a chilling trend of real-world political violence. It's been barely six months since Paul Pelosi, husband of former Speaker Nancy, was attacked with a hammer by an assailant looking for the Speaker. A Florida man is in prison for threatening to behead Pelosi, as well as Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. A man was arrested after he showed up with a gun at the home of Congresswoman Pramila Jayapal. And Republican Senator Susan Collins told The New York Times last year that she wouldn't be surprised if a member of either chamber were killed. It's not that there's never violence coming from the left. The 2017 congressional baseball game shooting that injured Republican Majority Leader Steve Scalise is an example. But for Republicans, the implied violence is baked into their message. In fact, just a few weeks ago, Marjorie Taylor Greene said that if she and Steve Bannon had planned January 6th, they would have been armed and won. The embrace of political violence is now almost a religion, an overt form of stochastic terrorism, of political and physical thuggery inside the no longer grand old party. This is if you don't win, take action to seize power anyway, by any means necessary. Fight it in court, go after election officials, overthrow the government, storm the Capitol. An entitlement to rule with devastating consequences, even with Donald Trump in the rearview mirror. And joining me now is Bernalillo County Commissioner and Vice Chair Adrian Barboa, who was one of the four people targeted by the political attacks on New Mexico. And Commissioner, um, thank you so much for being here. I do want to ask you how you're doing and if you could just sort of lay out, thank you, uh, how you're doing and just lay out for us what happened um, at your home. Yes, thank you so much. I, yeah, I was, I went, I was out um, Christmas shopping and came back home to my house being shot up. Literally four shots went through my front door and out my back window, literally through my living room where I had just only hours before been playing with my grandbaby. My daughter was visiting, um, getting ready for Christmas. And, and you know, when the, you learned that the, oh, go on. I would just say, you know, it, it was shocking and I'm still shocked and processing this attack comes, continues to be incredibly heavy. Um, especially knowing that like uh, women of color elected officials are specifically being targeted in our state. It included our now um, Speaker of the House, but who's also a Hispanic male Democrat. Let me ask you this. The, the, the climate that we're seeing right now um, among not all, but some Republicans, and unfortunately, a lot of prominent Republicans, is that they are showing a kind of sort of warlord style in their ads, posing with guns, threatening violence, the implied threat that we're armed. We just want to make sure that you know that. Do you feel that that kind of rhetoric, that kind of vibe inside the party, along with this idea that they can't lose, that if they lose, it's inherently fraud, do you feel that that contributed to what happened to you and the other, uh, the other elected officials? 
Oh, I have no doubt about it. You know, election deniers have um, and and this this movement, this vibe you're talking about is coming from our highest level of government when they continue to make threats and violence as a regular part of public discourse. It has real impact on our democracy and obviously our lives like these shots came through my front door, through my living room and out my kitchen like this. This was direct targeted violence that could have truly harmed and killed somebody. And so that, you know, when we're not careful of our words as elected officials, whether you're at a local level like myself or a congressional and federal level, our words matter and people um, are, you know, we, we have influence. That's the point of taking elected offices to serve. And we should be more careful of our words and what kind of uh, what we're promoting. And this alleged shooter, the person who is accused and has been arrested for this crime and for orchestrating these shootings, apparently visited several of your homes, I believe, including yours, um, in the weeks before the shooting. Had you ever spoken with him? Did he speak with you? Did he knock on your door and say, hey, I didn't really lose? Yeah, so I serve on the county commission and we certify elections locally. The county runs our county elections and then the county commission certifies it. So, yeah, there's about a two week period between elections and when we actually certify the elections. And um, right after the election, in that period of time, he came to my home and to the home of other commissioners. Um, he was a bit erratic, definitely um, aggressive. I didn't so much feel threatened because I want to believe that our public should be able to reach their elected officials. Um, so I just wanted to listen to him. But he had papers and he was talking about election fraud and that we must deny the election. Um, and that is the duty of the commissioners to um, deny the election results. And is the Republican Party, has they, have they made any statements about the truth of the results of the election? Has there been an attempt from the other side to say no, no to anyone who doubts the results of the election? These elections were valid. They were fair. No, they're not, at least in New Mexico. Um, and, you know, we've had a we've had a string of um, election deniers coming through the commission on a regular basis. And then um, that has just meant that they're, you know, around every corner they're you know talking to either our our county commission or our county clerk um and really trying to push that this that the elections are a fraud i made a statement because wow. we were having so much i made a statement to them to say i believe in same day election i believe in the quality integrity of our elections and our county staff and i was worried that that might have been what triggered some of this i was the first person i believe that was targeted well, um, we wish you well. I'm glad that you're okay and that your family is okay and that you weren't harmed. Um, uh, so, and I also very much appreciate you coming on uh, the program tonight. Bernalillo County Commissioner Adrian Barboa, thank you so much and be well. And let's bring in former Republican Congressman David Jolly, who's no longer affiliated with the party, and Kurt Bardella, Democratic strategist and former spokesman for the House Oversight Committee. I, I do want to start with you first, David, because, you know, this has been a long time. I mean, during the Tea Party era, the the sort of, you know, the, what they would do would be to hang President Obama in effigy, um, go mm -hmm. around with this idea of nooses. You saw nooses sort of cropping up around the country in relation to the former president, the first black president. And, and we know during the passage of uh, Obamacare, 
Lots and lots of Democratic members of Congress got threatening voicemails, rocks through their windows, threats of violence against them. So this isn't a new thing. But in your mind, as somebody who's been around Republican politics a long time, has it gotten worse? Oh, absolutely. And I think the arc you just described is absolutely accurate. You can you can look kind of the philosophical underpinnings of today's Republican Party and see the chapters where it moved from less government to no government to now government is the enemy. And at the same time, you're seeing this this cultural narrative within the party when we talk about LGBT issues and issues of race, where the party's taking a position that the government's coming for your privilege, for your way of life. That's why we see don't say gay and we see the ban on uh, critical race theory and all these other culture war issues. And so the, the broad narrative of today's Republican Party has really landed in a place where the government is your enemy, the government is trying to take things from you, the government is trying to cheat you. And what you see now is violent actions. And and I'm, I appreciate you focusing kind of on the leadership message that then trickles down to these violent actors, because there will always be violent actors, but it's the leadership message that at times inspires them. We saw it on January 6th, clearly, where Donald Trump excited the crowd. And I would say this is the danger in the new subcommittee on the weaponization of government that House Republicans just implemented. Weaponization against whom? Who, who has the government been weaponized against? Clearly, in Republican minds, it's against you, the citizen. The government's coming for you. And ultimately, that's going to incite the type of actions that we saw here tonight. Right. And, you know, Kurt, they're being very specific. They're not saying you, the citizen. They're saying white Christians. And they're, you know, and the problem is that they are creating among a group of people who are already falling into the minority and not happy about it and anxious about it. And you think about just what's happened in the last several years, threats against members of Congress are up 330 percent since 2016. Armed demonstrations are up 47 percent since the 2020 Election Day. Armed paramilitary groups up 96 percent between 2020 um, Election Day and Inauguration Day. FBI hate crimes, 8,263 just in 2020. That's the highest number since 9-11. White supremacy propaganda and activism up 1,100 percent since 2017. It definitely feels like there is a weaponizing of people's fear of minority status and of losing power and status. And you are very familiar with Steve Bannon, a self-described Leninist who wants this kind of camp of the saints war. He's getting it. Yeah, I mean, I just think, too, just the explosion in hate crimes against Asian Americans that we've seen over the last two years all fueled by GOP rhetoric. And we think about, you know, that segment that you just had about people's lives really being threatened, that people who ran unsuccessfully won't accept the truth and then literally put a target on the backs of their opponents. I think to just the other day when Congressman Eric Swalwell released a voicemail that he had received threatening the lives of him, his family, his kids. And then you look at what Republicans just did today, appointing 12, 13, 14 members to the House Oversight Committee who were election deniers. Uh, you know, I, I just reviewed a report that was just released by the Congressional Integrity Project articulating all of the election deniers that have just been appointed to this committee. 
And it's so dangerous, Joy, because all this does is legitimize those conspiracy theories. All it does is tell these people, the radical actors who take and treat these members' words and rhetoric like the Bible and act them, it legitimizes them. It tells them that they are right to feel how they feel, that it is right for them to act on these crazy conspiracy theories. And the more that Republicans in leadership, like Kevin McCarthy, legitimize those dangerous conspiracy theories, the more violence we're going to have, the more threats we're going to have, the more bloodshed we're going to have. And let's just be very clear, when that happens, and it will continue to, the blood is on the hands of the Republicans who we know know better. Yeah. I mean, Kevin McCarthy, one might say he sold his soul for that gavel um, because he is. I mean, let's look at this Congress. Um, The Republicans who support overturning the election in the 117th Congress, there were 139 of them. Now there are 136 of them. There are eight in the Senate right now. There used to be there. I'm sorry. There are 13 in the Senate right now. And you're absolutely right. Paul Gosar, whose own family rejects everything about him in terms of his attitudes on race. Marjorie Taylor Greene, um, Andrew Clyde, these people who have already shown a penchant for insurrection. They're getting committee assignments, David. Um, but, but I want you to talk just a little bit more to zoom back a little bit, because the way that these guys are running for office is to yeah. show themselves armed to the teeth, to show That's you right. and let you know before the election even happens. Let me just let you know I'm armed. My whole family is armed. Let me show you this Christmas card with all of us with guns. To me, the implication is I'm basically a warlord. And if I, I'll either get elected right. or I'll get power anyway, because I got these guns. Yeah, so many serious threads in this story, and I'm glad you're, you're treating it as such. I mean, take just the issue of gun violence and the celebration of the use of high-capacity weapons as a part of Republican messaging. That in and of itself is dangerous. And then you have the lies and, and this notion that the government's coming for your place in society. Well, if government's coming to take something from you, then you have a right to protect yourself. And those, those threads kind of merge together. And I think that the dangerous thing, the, probably the most dangerous piece of this is who among today's Republican leadership is going to lead the party out of it? Because actually what we see is everybody fall into it. Kevin McCarthy, arguably six or eight years ago, would have been the more rational speaker that would have been able to keep all this at bay. Instead, he fell right into it. Even the voices of Mitch McConnell and others are ineffective in pushing back. So the next generation of Republican leaders will be elevating and celebrating this. And and I hate to get kind of overtly partisan here, but that is the importance of the coalition that Democrats have built in the last six years of Democrats, independents and disaffected Republicans who say there's there's this movement in today's American politics that is dangerous and worrisome. And so whether we we are Democrats or independents or disaffected Republicans, we have to step in and put a stop to it. That's the importance of what Democrats are leading in this moment in history right now. Well, I think it's important that I'm sitting here with two former Republicans, right? People who were partisan at one time in that party. Mm -hmm. But you're right, David. Um, We now have a coalition and they're really sort of two sides um, in American politics. There are those who think that you shouldn't use violence to solve the problem of losing, right? That violence shouldn't have anything to do with politics. And there's another side that says, well, you know, maybe it's okay if we, you know, if we lose, maybe we should storm the Capitol. Maybe we should hunt Pelosi. Maybe we should just hunt them down if they won't let us have power. If they vote wrong, we'll just shut them out of the ballot. And Kurt, you know, I, do you do you think that there is someone in the Republican Party who does have the stature to do it, 
because people like Adam Kinzinger and others are being chased out. Um, there are Republicans who are saying they were afraid to vote for impeachment because they thought that their own base would kill them. They're afraid of their own base. Is there somebody that's not afraid of the very heavily armed Republican base part of it to say something or do something about it? Yeah, and I think that's really kind of the sad thing at this point, Joy, is that there there isn't. There isn't anyone that has the stature and the ability to successfully lead the Republican Party out of this extreme wilderness. Uh, we've seen the folks like Kingsner and, and Liz Cheney. Guess what? They're not in Congress anymore. Uh, every time that at least one or two of them try, they get ran out of town, ran out of their own party, ran out of their own leadership in the case of Liz Cheney. I mean, Kevin McCarthy was caught on audio for crying out loud, agreeing with Liz Cheney about Donald Trump's culpability in January 6th. And a few weeks later, what was Kevin doing? He was hightailing to Mar-a-Lago, sucking up to Donald Trump and throwing Liz Cheney under the bus. There is no, uh, you know, there's only cowardice right now in the Republican hierarchy. And as long as that's the case, and that seems to be the case after what we've seen from Kevin McCarthy, they're just going to keep going to the extreme. That's the scary thing here. After an election in which they just woefully underperformed, in which a lot of their extremist candidates that ran for Senate, Governor, Secretary of State lost, the calculation they have made is, you know what? We're going to make Marjorie Taylor Greene the face of the party. We're going to make Lauren Bobart the face of the party. We're going to make Scott Perry the face of the party. In fact, we're going to put them on the oversight committee where they're going to be center stage when these hearings are broadcast wall to wall on every news network. They're going to make them even more influential, more important. That's the lesson that they learned from almost losing the midterm elections entirely. Yeah. And the problem is they can't win a majority in the country and they certainly can't win the White House this way. And it's a vicious cycle because then when they lose, because the majority of American voters go, whoa, nah, that's too too crazy for me. Then they cycle it back again and say, nope, we didn't really lose. It was also fraud. And it's just we're right back where we started. David Jolly and Kurt Bardella. Thank you, friends. Really appreciate you. Up next on the readout, the arrest in New Mexico was just the latest example of how white supremacist lies and conspiracy theories, <coughs> excuse me, threaten our democracy. The readout continues after this live from New Orleans. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. When it comes to teaching kids and teens about money, practice makes perfect. That's where Greenlight comes in. With a debit card and money app of their own, kids learn to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest. Parents send instant money transfers, create custom chores, and automate allowance, while kids track their spending, set savings goals, and practice money skills they can use today and for life. Get one month free when you sign up at greenlight.com podcast. There is a common theme in what we saw in New Mexico, as well as other attempts of political violence over the past few years. Many of them stem from a, a conspiracy, whether it's the big lie and election denialism, QAnon or anti-vax. For some, conspiracy theories have become a sort of religion. In his new book, The Midnight Kingdom, A History of Power, Paranoia and the Coming Crisis, 
author Jared Yates Sexton explores how people are sucked into paranoid fantasies in order to justify their worldview and how it can drive individuals to extremism or in some cases even violence. He writes, quote, this is unfortunately part of an ongoing cycle throughout history. The powerful have continually used this exact same formulation, the outside threat, partnering with internal traitors and taking advantage of populations through manipulations and lies to protect themselves. Particularly the white patriarchal establishment, which relies on these conspiracy theories as a means of diverting populist anger to their enemies and opponents. It's the same song and dance that has inspired wars, genocides, and coups. Joining me now is Jared Yates Sexton, co-host of the Muckrake podcast and author of The Midnight Kingdom. Uh, Mr. Yates Sexton, thank you for being here. I'm fascinated by this, and I want you to say more about it, because I definitely have this ongoing theory that a lot of what we're seeing are certain elites, billionaire elites, people with lots of money who don't want to pay taxes, stoking conspiracy theories, paying for and funding organizations that will whip up the, the, the masses so that they don't focus on the rich folks and try to raise their taxes. What do you think? Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more, Joy, and thank you for having me. Um, I think one of the things that we need to start focusing on are those donors, those billionaires and millionaires who have consistently attacked democracy in the United States. You know, we can look at Donald Trump and his buffoonish, cartoonish sideshow antics, but there are people behind the scenes who are paying for things like January 6th, who are paying for things like the Ottawa truckers convoy and even the coup attempt down in Brazil. And the consistent thing that we find is that they are using these conspiracy theories, whether it's the idea of CRT or groomers or uh, QAnon, all of these things are useful tools to go ahead and help explain how we've arrived at this point. But as, as you were saying, it, it changes the consequences. It changes the focus from the powerful to political enemies, including liberal traders or people of color. Um, you know, it, it's interesting that uh, we just celebrated Martin Luther King Day. We never talk about the fact that he was portrayed as a communist agent by the right wing and by the powerful in order to go ahead and uh, say that he wasn't serious about reform or that there wasn't a clamor for some sort of a civil rights action. And always we find this through American history, that this is how the powerful protect themselves and how they go ahead and expand their power. Well, and if you think about Dr. King, as you're right, we are a day past Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And also to try to blunt the message they never tell you about, where he was saying economic justice, right? It was one thing if you're saying everybody sit down at the table of brotherhood, that's fine, and that's well and good in church. But if you're saying economic justice, that's going to cost somebody something. And so you start to see him become more dangerous to, you know, the upper echelons of society when he's talking about repair. And so I feel like we're kind of in a similar moment, right? You have Barack Obama coming along, he's very popular. And so there's this fear that he's going to, you know, make mortgage companies eat some of their losses for uh, mortgages that people couldn't pay. So, boom, Tea Party. And they refocus it on he's a Muslim, he's not really American. But their original beef, the Tea Party, was that they didn't want mortgage cram down. So how we got from billionaires who don't want mortgage cram down to Obama is a monkey and a, and a, and a false you know, president, to me, it does seem like a maybe not a conspiracy, but a plan. 
Oh, it absolutely is. And and I want to point out that these conspiracy theories and these ideologies are ways of making sense of things that otherwise would be unthinkable. You know, you, you start talking about the possibility of overthrowing a government or even locking up your political enemies. If you just said, let's go and do that, that's that's unacceptable. But all of a sudden you start telling a story, which is Barack Obama, of course, is either a Muslim New World Order puppet or possibly even the Antichrist. And that turns the temperature up. Suddenly, you're deciding between protecting your family and protecting what you have, or simply letting something awful happen. And right now, the Republican Party is continually stoking that type of fear among their base. I mean, we've even gotten to the point where a debate over gas stoves and whether or not they affect childhood asthma has turned into the fear of jackbooted thugs breaking into people's homes. We're no longer talking about the issue. We're no longer talking about something that could possibly cause problems with uh, big energy or fossil fuel companies. And what we're doing is we're replacing it instead with this fear-mongering idea and story that goes ahead and gets people to go along with the plan. And how do we protect ourselves from it when they add in the idea that an election happens? You have millions of people who are disappointed, and then that disappointment is being redirected toward a lie, toward saying, oh, no, don't worry, your candidate, your favorite president, your favorite whoever didn't lose, it was stolen. I feel like in a country with, you know, more guns than people and with an, uh, a group of people who are already feeling insecure about their future in the country, they're already primed. This election denialism is the perfect, um, you know, match that you can throw on all of that. It absolutely is. And unfortunately, it's a very American tradition. I mean, let's not lose sight of the fact that the Confederate States of America was more or less an election-denying movement. The Ku Klux Klan was an election-denying movement. The coup of Wilmington in 1898 was a white supremacist election-denying movement. White supremacy in the United States of America will not accept the results of democracy if it goes against the wishes of white supremacy. So it's an absolute tinderbox. And what we've arrived at now is a moment uh, much like, you know, the lead up to the Civil War and that era uh, of Wilmington, where you have a white supremacist population that is heavily armed and is heavily radicalized and ready for violence. These election denying conspiracy theories are the perfect way to ignite that. And the people who push them in order to push their own agendas, they are absolutely playing with fire and they've already gotten people killed, people harassed. That poor woman that you were talking to earlier. I mean, we are pushing public figures out of the public arena. We're making it to the point where nobody wants to be involved with any of this for fear of their lives. This is the way that you attack open society. And this is the way that you start to notch up wins. Yeah. And the scary thing about it is many of the people who are pushing this are just getting elevated to higher and higher elected office and getting on important committees in Congress where they'll have oversight authority. It's pretty frightening. Uh, I would love to have you back. Jared Yates Sexton, um, thank you so much for being here. And we will definitely check out your book. And still ahead, the death toll from Russia's latest attack on civilian targets in Ukraine continues to climb as Ukrainian troops arrive in the U.S. for training on the advanced Patriot missile defense system. More after this, live from Studio B in New Orleans. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars Rewards. 
That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer, like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. Hey, parents. Greenlight is here to take one big thing off your to-do list, teaching your kids about money. With a Greenlight debit card and money app of their own, kids and teens learn to earn, save, and invest. You can send money instantly, set flexible controls, and get real-time notifications of your kids' money activity. Set up chores and put allowance on autopilot to reward them for their hard work. Then learn about the world of money together. Get one month free when you sign up at greenlight.com slash podcast. Today marks the second anniversary of Russian opposition leader Alexei Navalny returning to Russia after recovering from being poisoned. He was immediately arrested upon his arrival, convicted on fabricated charges, and is still in prison to this day. In a tweet sent by his associates outside Russia, Navalny wrote that he will never surrender his country and urges everyone not to abandon hope. Navalny is a prime example of Russian President Vladimir Putin's attempts to clamp down on any form of dissent to his rule. Dissent has only been growing as we near the one-year anniversary of the start of his war against Ukraine. While it has led to immense political and economic turmoil within the Kremlin, Putin has not relented at all in his vicious assault on Ukraine. Take a look at these pictures of an apartment complex in the Ukrainian city of Dnipro that was the target of a Russian missile strike over the weekend. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky denounced the strike that claimed the lives of at least 45 people, including six children, as a war crime. It's one of the deadliest attacks on civilian targets since the war began. Joining me now is Michael McFall, former U.S. ambassador to Russia and an MSNBC international affairs analyst. Ambassador McFall, it's always great to speak with you. It definitely feels like, despite the fact that it feels like a losing effort overall, um, Russia's viciousness and barbarity has not been mitigated at, uh, at all. Um, this attack on an apartment building that killed so many people, that feels like an escalation, not a de-escalation. You're right, Joy. It does to me, too. Uh, when you can't win on the battlefield and Putin is losing on the battlefield, he is upping the ante in his terrorist attacks against Ukrainian civilians. Uh, this is a, a horrible one that we just saw horrific what happened out yeah, with this missile attack on this apartment building. Right. Doesn't that remind you a little bit of September 11th, by the way? looking at that at footage. Yeah. But that's what he does when he can't win on the battlefield. And I see no signs that he's going to stop. And, you know, I just combine sort of these things, you know, having Alexei Navalny imprisoned, um, Vladimir Karamurza, friend of the show, uh, is also imprisoned, imprisoning the people who could free and liberate Russia and turn it into a democracy. And at the same time, openly partnering um, with Belarus and others to sort of look to make it look like he's got allies in this war. But I'm wondering if any of it is helping internally in terms of how Russians view him, because the fact that he has to run to Belarus now for help, it doesn't feel like strength. And having Navalny and uh, and his other opponents in prison doesn't look like strength either. Well, Joy, first of all, thank you for mentioning Alexei Navalny at the top of your show. It's the two-year anniversary uh, of his wrongful uh, imprisonment, um, and uh, people need to remember he's still in jail. 
And I think you make a really good point. Why is Alexei Navalny in jail? Why is Karamurza in jail? Why is Ilya Yashin, another one of their colleagues, in jail? When Putin wants us to believe that there's no opposition to the war, everybody supports him, everybody loves him, and yet he feels like he has to put all these people in jail, chase out independent media. And I think those are signs that, in fact, when you read opinion polls and it says everybody supports the war, we need to be suspicious about those polls. By the way, remember, they're really high non-respondent rates to opinion polls in Russia. Guess why? Because you can go to jail for 15 years if you say the wrong thing about Putin. So surprise, surprise, people aren't answering those polls. So that's number one. Number two, Navalny's opposition channels, if you watch his YouTube channels that his opposition in exile are still doing, their numbers are going way up. And state-controlled television channels, people are watching those less and less. And even those, those yeah. opinion polls with all their flaws are showing declining support for the war and anxiety about the war. So yes, superficially, it looks like everybody's supporting the war, but you dig a little deeper, and I think there's a lot of data suggests that he's losing popular support for this war. You know, it, it feels like <clears throat> he could probably, you know, go on for quite some time as long as oil prices stayed high, right? As long as Russia's oil industry stayed strong. That doesn't seem to be happening. A less than frigid winter has kind of foiled the plan uh, to freeze Europe uh, out. Um, and it seems that Russia's oil industry is actually feeling the, the, the effects of sanctions. Could that weaken Putin ultimately? Well, you're right. I fear tragically, analytically, if I have to answer the question, that he could last a long time because he controls everything. Um, but... You raise a good point. Ukrainians like to say, God's on our side. Look at what great weather they've had in Europe, right? Uh, he is not selling the oil. You know, it's a 30% discount already, and it's way below where it was at the beginning of the war. And over time, sanctions are having that impact. Russia today is a very isolated economy. It's not going to grow in the next year. Tens of thousands of the best and the brightest are leaving. And over time, that is going to, to, to take its toll. Economic elites, there's not a single major economic elite. Well, maybe one or two that are really close to Putin, but most of them lament this war. Most of them detest this war. They don't say that because they don't want to go to jail, but there's no enthusiasm among economic elites for this war uh, inside Russia. There is a... a, 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 a uh Somebody has left. Um, you've got the, a Wagner Group commander um, who has requested asylum in Norway. It's the first time we've seen a defection to the West uh, since the start of the war. Um, do you think that this is significant? I do. I think we should be doing a whole lot more to encourage more defections, by the way. Uh, have a comprehensive strategy for doing that. Uh, but it's, it's important in two respects. One, he's with a Wagner Group. That's the paramilitary mercenaries, private military company run by this guy, Yevgeny Prigozhin, right? So they're supposed to be professionals and he's defecting. But you also see tensions below the surface between the Wagner Group and the regular military forces. They're each claiming credit for recent victories. Uh, Putin just had to change his commander uh, in charge of this war, right? You don't change your generals when you're winning wars, you change them when you're losing. And again, I just you add up these things, and I think there's lots of different pieces of, of evidence to suggest that A, this war is going badly, B, a lot of Russians know it, and maybe even C, Putin himself knows it. The last question, I feel like I ask you this all the time, but I'll just ask it again. 
you know, when Russia is bombing apartment buildings, it's a war crime. Everyone knows it's a war crime. Everyone knows they're doing it. But it feels like the international community is utterly helpless. I mean, the U.S. is now training, um, you know, Ukrainian soldiers. We're, we're bringing them into the U.S. and helping and training them. We're providing them billions of dollars in aid and military aid. But it feels like there must be something more that the world can do to brush back this rogue nation. I think there is. Uh, I'd do three things. One, we should designate Russia a state sponsor of terrorism. We have a list. Four countries are on it right now. Cuba, Joy, is on that list. If Cuba's on that list, how can Russia not be on that list? Number two, we should massively increase sanctions. We talked about the good news of sanctions, but there are literally hundreds of new sanctions that we could impose. We should have a big bang approach to sanctions, not incrementalism. And third, I think the same thing about weapons. Uh, If you listen to General Zaluzhny, the commander in chief of Ukraine, he says, give me 300 tanks and I will push the Russians out. Mm -hmm. Well, we should test that hypothesis. We should give them the offensive weapons they need to try to push the Russians out. So we've done a lot. I give the Biden administration a ton of credit for 2022. But nobody's going to remember all the good things they did in 2022 if Putin begins to win in 2023. And that's why I think we need a big bang approach here on sanctions, on weapons, and on designating them a state sponsor of terrorism. What a great way to start the new year. Sounds like great ideas. Hopefully somebody in Biden world is listening. Ambassador Michael McFaul, thank you very much. And don't go anywhere because we are going to have a little pre-party ahead of tonight's town hall with my good friends Chris Hayes and visual artist B. Mike. We are live in this gorgeous, gorgeous space in New Orleans. Stay right there. In just two short hours, I'll be back here with this guy, Chris Hayes, for our town hall commemorating National Day of Racial Healing. We will be coming to you live from right here at the iconic Studio B, a cultural landmark in New Orleans. And so joining me now is my pal, Chris Hayes, uh, and New Orleans-based visual artist, Brandon B. Mike Odoms of Studio B. Thank you for being here. And I know we were both just like peppering you with questions about all of this. So before, Chris, we're going to talk about the thing, but can you talk about this space, which is so amazing? Yeah, so Studio B, thank you uh, for having us and, and being, being, being here. But Studio B is a labor of love. It's a product of alchemy. It's 35,000 square foot warehouse filled with art. It started off as a pop-up, a six-month-long pop-up, and we've been here now almost seven years. So it's been a blessing. It's amazing. It's incredible. How did you start as, as an artist? Um, I mean, your work is incredible, and yes. if, if folks can check it out, like some of the, your, your yeah, paintings yeah. are up here. Um, how did you start as an artist? It's been a long, meandering journey, but New Orleans as a city is such a creative, beautiful place. I've been poured into by so many amazing people, and I was given the responsibility to do something with my work and my creativity. What is the function of it? And so for me, that started off painting murals illegally at first, responding to Hurricane Katrina damaged spaces. And then it sort of snowballed into these series of organic projects 
Exhibit B being one, and now Studio B being the space we're in now. And when we're not here, uh, taking up your space, um, what happens in this in this incredible yeah, so huge building? We're open five days a week. Uh, the general public is able to come and walk through. As well, we have a nonprofit called Eternal Seas, where the goal is to pour into the up-and-coming creatives, emerging artists, and we have programming here, classroom, education spaces. Um, so our goal is just to be as uh, useful with our time, to be yeah. a, a, a good steward of the moment that we're in. Pretty cool. We've got uh, portraits in this building of Fred uh -huh. Hampton. I've seen Fannie yes. Lou Hamer. We have John Lewis right there. Um, obviously, the sort of questions of the struggle in the civil rights movement, yeah. like a huge part of the theme yeah. of the work you do. Yeah, definitely. You know, I, I, like Nina Simone said, it's the artist's duty to reflect the times. But for me, it's, it's a duality of not just reflecting the times, but also using your imagination to see beyond where we are, to see what's, what's beyond us, to see a, a, hopefully a better and brighter future. And I think creatives have this keen ability to lean into their radical imagination. So ideally in this space, you see this juxtaposition of the past as well as the possibilities for the future. So yeah. that's the goal. You know, the thing is, what the, so what we're doing tonight, we're talking about this sort of racial healing dynamic and what can be done to sort of create it. I definitely feel like art has a big part oh, in healing, right? Because definitely. this is the ability to express. Yes. And what you're doing here, you're showing beautiful black people yes. and you're showing the joy of blackness as yes. well as the struggle. Yeah, it's all about alchemy to me. I think the idea of transformation, I think if you think about the, the black experience in this country, it's always been about alchemy. Not being defined by the pain or the trauma, but somehow being able to transform it into beauty and joy. New Orleans is a city that's, that's steeped with that. You know, you think about the way we celebrate death, you think about the way we celebrate life. You know, this is a space that's taught me how artists can be alchemists. And I think you're right, that art plays a huge role in that process as we think about all the things that are in front of us, the problems we face, the things we want to dismantle and destroy. Mm -hmm. We also have to think about what we want mm -hmm. to build. Yeah. Well, I got to ask you a question. Well, because I, I'm now going to question the host. Yeah. Um, what do you hope to get out of this conversation on racial healing? And what do you think people will get out of it? I, look, I feel like every... There is no like one size fits all and there's no one and done mm -hmm. about the topic, right? Yeah. So everything, my feeling is like persuasion matters a lot and that people are open to persuasion. They're open to new ways of thinking. And we get these glimmers sometimes. We saw that in the summer 2020. Yep. Mm -hmm. You can see consciousness break open a little bit. You can yeah. see little spaces for people to reimagine things. And I think tonight is a, one of those opportunities to break open a little bit, to get people to get a perspective they may not have, yeah. to have their consciousness like moved around a little bit. Yeah. That to me, anytime we can do that in yeah. our work, to me is a, that's a victory. It's a beginning, right? We're not going to solve always, you know, right, the whole right. issue an eternal of beginning. America. It's an eternal beginning, mm. so we're going to do it. Well, it's going to be exciting. It's going to be exciting to be here. We're going to have a major, a, a beautiful audience here. It's empty right now, but it'll be filled with people who hopefully will be open to having this conversation, totally. to experiencing the artwork. Hopefully mm. they'll get a chance to walk around yes. and experience your brilliant work. Uh, and you. I think it's going to be great. I think it's going to be great. And what are you going to have on your show tonight? Um, we're doing a bunch of Santos stuff. We're doing the shooting in New Mexico. Um, yeah. I've got Dan Goldman, the new Congress member, oh, nice. uh, who will be joining us as well. Okay. Well, we will sit and we will enjoy that. But you know what? I'm going to be enjoying it in this space. It's going to be wonderful. Maybe somebody will get me like a beignet or something while I'm watching your show. Uh, thank you, Brandon. Like the on-air ask. <laughs> the on-air ask. Somebody bring me beignets in a hurricane. Well, maybe not a hurricane because i got to be uh, prepared for the next thing we do later tonight. Brandon, be Mike Odoms. Chris Hayes, thank you very much. Be sure to join me and Chris and Tremaine Lee tonight at 10 p.m. Eastern for our special MSNBC Town Hall, a National Day of Racial Healing. It is sponsored by the W.K. Kellogg Foundation. It's right here in Studio B in gorgeous New Orleans.
Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate.